we usually start recording as soon as we're all connected because with us, you just never know when something hilarious is going to happen. Yes, I usually try to wait 10 minutes because I know for 10 minutes something funny won't happen. We time it <laughs> to that sense. But it's good to know your numbers. That works well for you. Um, well, if we cut out every unfunny 10 minutes of our show, they would not be an hour It long. would actually be a reasonable length show. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everyone ever, and welcome to the 20th Century Popcast, the show where we try to understand the present while living in the past. My name is Tim Blevins. Uh, the next name is normally Bob Canning, but not today. Um, today, Bob is not here, but um, that's no reason to unsubscribe. That's that's no reason to go and check if 80s All Over has a, a new episode up. Instead of Bob, I've got two uh, stellar guests here today to discuss with me a topic for you. I'm not in Bob's place, but kind of from their own places, their own vantage points. Um, I'm doing so great with this, but uh, do you guys want to introduce yourself, start the show off, introduce who's here with me today? I'm going to toss this over to Jarf. I'm always the guy talking, so I'm going to let Jarf uh, take it's a my lead. chance at last. Right? So- I could text you what I just said, and you could do the whole show if you wanted. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So this is Jarf, mm-hmm. and Brad and I co-created a podcast of which he is the host called the Cosmic Geppetto Podcast. So mm-hmm. that is our pop culture, entertainment, broad base talk about anything podcast so you say so, so the, first of all thank you first podcasting uh, guest i've had on the show you're saying it's a talk about anything podcast um brad i know you from the flash gordon minute that's how i kind of found out about you so in terms of cosmic geppetto i understand talk about anything if you had to give a sentence kind of tagline for it to kind of funnel into something so like listeners to coming to a show about pop culture be like oh i see what that is what what would the the, the heart of that show be what 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 is that exactly the, the tagline. Give them the tagline, Brad. Yeah, the tagline we like to say, and our wonderful uh, voice of the show, uh, Beth Reynolds says, is uh, where we talk about movies, music, books, comics, and whatever else we feel like. And uh, so, basically, if anything, if it's anything geeky, we're going to talk about it. Uh, the show started. Um, it was actually under a different name. We used to call it Movies That Marvel because we were going to talk about the movies of the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. And it took us about three episodes to just completely ditch that format because we we start talking about soundtracks to these movies, and um, which is actually our first conversation about Flash Gordon it was by the soundtrack. Um, and then, so so we we basically talk about stuff that's geeky. We try to be as inclusive and positive as humanly possible. So if you're looking for someone to if, if you're basically if you're looking for a show to talk about how much the Fantastic Four movies stink, that's not really us. Don't get me wrong, we agree that those movies stink, but instead we go with it from a perspective of what do we like about this property? What do we want to see? How we, we actually have a ser- sub-series where we talk about fixing our favorite franchises or what should be our favorite franchises. So it's a fun place to go for a weekly podcast. The episodes are usually about an hour or so long. We're going to talk about our favorite albums, uh, stuff that we're excited about. Uh, we've been had a wonderful chance to talk with some uh, great writers and uh, comic book artists and uh, documentary producers and some sort of indie artists. And uh, it, it's sort of a fun place to sort of be inclusive and be positive. And uh, just have a great time. And we have a panel of about 
20 regular panelists that uh, go in and out of all the episodes and uh, great perspectives and uh, some great voices. So it's uh, it, we're, we're trying to just talk about anything geeky and stuff that we love and try to share that stuff we love with our listeners. Now, do you find like it's, it's and as an angle, it's almost how that one would have to say, you know, the positivity of it. Do you find that in fandom in general, that that's a difficult thing to maintain? Do you bump against that sometimes yourself, like in talking about popular culture you've had your whole life? I wouldn't say that I bump up against it just because I think that we've we've created this nice bed of positivity mm-hmm. and we've really drawn people that want to have those fun and positive conversations. Why do you think there's like an opposite to that? What do you think? Because I, I, I think that's great. And I, I notice it a lot, like most recently talking about the most recent Star Wars movie, which I enjoyed, talking with friends who grew up with that, who did not care for the movie. It takes an ugly turn. It takes an odd turn of just there is a, a self-centeredness of how much it impacts them. Why, why do you think the clinging of that is, is difficult for some people to break away? And have you ever had to deal with that yourself? Like, have you felt that the negative side of that? We're in a weird world where, and it's a social media world where you want to get likes and you want your tweets to be retweeted. And the easiest way to do that is not to have a a medium warm opinion about something. Nobody's ever going to care if you give Black Panther a B grade. Yes, you have to say it's either the greatest thing that ever happened or it's the worst thing that ever happened. If, um, and it was funny, we just had a podcast where we had the, the amazing Zach Luna from uh, Spider-Man Minute On, who actually worked on costumes for Black Panther. And uh, it was weird for me. I said, it's like, here's the thing. I didn't love the movie. I liked it a lot, but I didn't love it. And I said, it's weird because I've seen a lot of people who, there's the, the backlash or the anger that always happens when the movie feels different to them because they feel threatened. Or there's the people where it's the greatest thing that ever happened. And I was like, it's weird for me being in, in a middle period. But I didn't so, – and I think that's what it is. It's hard to have a just middle of the road, hey, I thought it was good. These are the things I like. These are the things that didn't because that isn't what catches eyes and gets interest on social media. And in podcasting world and in people who do the YouTube videos or something, that – that isn't of interest to people. Do you think that was always there, though? Like something like that. And it's hard to think back. Cause, I mean, we're, I don't know all of our ages, but we've all lived. We lived through the original Star Wars movies. An example, right? Did you guys, were you fans and saw them when they came out and all of that? Well, I think what's different is what Brad was touching on there about this being filtered through social media. I don't think it is just human nature to to only care about the extreme ends of reactions, the love and the hate. But since social media uses this content neutral algorithm and only amplifies what is getting the most attention, I've read some interesting studies about how people are more likely to respond to something that, that triggers an extreme emotion for them. So if someone's saying, that a movie is outrageously horrible and so deeply offensive, then that is going to make them hit that angry face. Conversely, if they're saying, oh, I left the theater in tears, it was beautiful, this, that is my review of Wrinkle in Time, by the way. I th- <laughs> but it's going to make them hit that love button. And so, so you just get more of that 
there is like this broadcast angle to it, I guess. And because like, I, I feel like pot, like we all of us do pop culture centric podcasts and we'll get into today's topic in a minute. It's just, it's interesting. I was really, I don't, it just struck me that in a good way that you have this angle and it shouldn't see so, seem so strange, but that your, your angle is positivity when it's kind of like, I think everyone who does a pop culture show, not everyone, that's a generalization, but a lot of people want it to be like, this is just like a regular conversation I would have with my friends. This is how we talk about gem and the holograms. This is how we talk about the cure or whatever. But those kind of conversations are personal. They, I don't think they necessarily translate to an audience when you're so like, with a microphone like right now, with the headphones and everything, there is a degree of maybe playing for an audience. Do you not encounter that? Like there is a, an angle of having to make it seem like, well, if someone's going to listen for half an hour or an hour, not to manufacture it, but what are they going to listen to? And, and it's not, it can't just be a rattling off a list of memories, but a discussion, I guess, kind of at that angle. Yeah, and you also see what succeeds. Uh, I've lived... I remember when Rush Limbaugh um, first broke onto the scene and Rush Limbaugh's whole thing is just very one side of the issue and everyone who's with him is good, everyone who's against him is bad and trashing the other side. And there are people – and then I also remember when Air America came in. That was sort of like the left-leaning radio network and it was some people were on the other side doing the exact same thing and you realized – and then I remember just reading articles and sort of people who were on the inside is like, ah, some of these people believe about 20% of what they say, but you don't get the uh, rabid following and the people who then follow, go to your advertisers and stuff like that by being, oh, well, you know, I sort of agree, I sort of disagree. And that isn't what draws ears. And people paid attention to that and it became a more... And unfortunately, it sort of led to that sort of uh, broadcasting philosophies like, hey, have strong opinions and don't give an inch. Does it seem odd um, that that happens with pop culture? Like I, Russell Limbaugh, a horrible individual who speaks of politics, you know, um, what's his name with uh, Infowars now? Like those kind of things, they're, 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 these are horrible, yeah, raging, insane people who are talking with their reptilian conspiracies and with these other things. They're talking politics. So it, theoretically, it's something that impacts all of us. It's it's interesting to see. And I don't think it's odd. It makes sense because these things, I think, impact us. But it, it's sometimes I, I have to step back and say, like, we're treating the Inhumanoids cartoon from 1986 with that same sort of extreme one side or the other discussion. I'm just, I guess, I don't know where that comes from. I mean, I do this week after week podcast where we discuss Tom Hanks and Big, where we discuss Howard the Duck. And there is an aspect of how do we talk about that for an hour <clears throat> it's 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 because we're going back to nostalgia there's all these different filters to go through i just it is it's interesting and i find it, it can be hard and again this is going back to how maintaining this idea of positivity it can almost be hard sometimes to just discuss the fond memories because i i don't know it's like i've gone through that and just talking about them and discussing them it's interesting that this becomes the conversational currency or political conversation i guess a discussion i think there's also a dangerous thing that happens when the new star wars comes out and this is such a beloved franchise has been around for so long and what can also happen is uh, uh, there's a term that jarf has thrown around a lot um a, a couple times rather headcanon where you know you, you create your whole little world for the things that you love and there can be a dangerous thing where people get so passionately involved because I've had my Spider-Man movie in my head for the last 30 years. And 
some people can't let go that when that movie comes out, hey, that's not what my my Spider-Man wouldn't look like Andrew Garfield. And Amazing Spider-Man comes out, and it's, I think, admittedly a below-average movie. But people are angry because not only was it a it was a below average movie that doesn't match the Spider Man they had in their head, and they're they're so invested in what's in their head going out going onto the screen. So, it, yeah, it, it it becomes so personal for everyone. And yeah, listen, I I read a lot of Fantastic Four comic books growing up, and I you know loved uh, the I read most of the issues of the Thing solo series, and I had my idea of what would make a cool story. And then the 2015 Fantastic Four film came out, and it wasn't a good movie. That's okay. It's, it's okay. It's, it, there were some interesting things about it. It was at least an interesting failure. And you know what? We're also in an era where, hey, listen, folks, if it, if it doesn't work, don't worry. They can try again. It's not like when... Superman Quest for Peace came out, and it was such a bomb and such a, a artistic failure that they shut down Superman for ten for fifteen twenty years. <laughs> that, no, and, that's true, I, and maybe they shut that down maybe two years too late, possibly four if we count <laughs> Superman three. But I think you said two things there, and this will segue into today's topic a little bit. I mean, one, I think the thing that everybody forgets is that there's always another chance. Like you, you know, with fam- I mean, we've seen it. We've seen three. You know, we're seeing multiple Batmans in a decade. That these things. We don't have to be as invested in the immediate one. And it is odd that that's the world we live in, that if like the Star Wars doesn't match what I remember, this can't be a good Star Wars. Like that mindset I don't get. But the other side of it is these are things, you know, you're talking about how you, yeah, it sounds like you grew up reading Fantastic Four, you read them when you were younger. I mean, that's, that's when we encounter these things. That's when we know of these things without this, without any other prior knowledge, without the pop culture weight of it, like... To keep going back to Star Wars, Star Wars was the thing I grew up with. It wasn't this juggernaut till later on. So I think we tend to forget the impact of it when it first hit us. And that's kind of what I think, at least on this show, we are always trying to get at is what were these things when we first encountered them? Because as time goes on, you're looking back at something and you know you, you do change as a person and, and you want to, or at least I know, I want to hold on to that thing as I remember it was in 1984, but that's not going to stick as I develop kind of thing. But the head, you know, so to be able to talk about that. It's almost like a luxury that we're able to talk for an hour about these topics. And, and it's, and I do enjoy that, but yeah, it is odd that it takes energy for some, sometimes myself included to maintain an upbeatness with that. And so thank you for kind of opening that up a little bit. Cause it is something I think about a lot. Well, I give credit to Jarf. Jarf is like the uh, conscious of the show. So oh. he, uh, he, he keeps me, uh... I'm the Jiminy cricket and, and positivity was one of the earliest conversations that we had because we, we we looked at what we were starting to do and and looked at how it was hitting the the larger world of pop culture. Starting podcasts. to do in terms of podcasts, okay. Yes, and and we saw that there was this trend of I'm gonna do a series of YouTube videos and talk about how much I hate everything and. And I wasn't even really thinking of it as a larger political thing. It was just why, if you hate it that much, why are you spending so much time podcasting about it? So I, we really wanted to just offer a balance of that and, and something that would be more fun. But you were putting it together as a show, correct? You were putting yeah. it together as, so what, 
And if you don't mind, if we derail the episode, I'm finding a lot of interest in what you're both bringing to how people view pop culture, because I think both of you seem to have a very keen view of how you're viewing pop culture. Would you mind if that's what we wind up talking about right now? Would that throw every note into the wind? No, hell, let's have fun. Is that is, yeah. that, is, how, is that good for you? Well, no, so it's, I um, find it very interesting. So yeah, I'm down. Okay, I mean, it does mean I have to I have to delete three paragraphs of notes and two jokes, <laughs> but I can do that. I can do that right now. Um, Keep your notes. We'll turn it into a Cosmic Geppetto episode later. We'll have you, you on our show. We'll turn uh, we'll, we'll turn the tables. I can also just forward them to you. I'll bold the parts that get laughs. Let me do that. <laughs> but, but um, so in terms of pop, so you started um, Cosmic Geppetto started as a discussion of Marvel movies. Yep. Right. What prompted you to think let's turn this into a discussion? People are going to because you're. What prompted you to make a podcast out of that? Well, it did start out as a podcast. It just initially was the Movies That Marvel podcast. And we had, I would say, more modest aspirations for the reach of it and the both in terms of people as guests, as listeners, and the thematic reach of it. And I think what started us down the road of changing both the name and the format was Brad your interview with Lori Lindeen, right? Yeah, Lori Lindeen, uh, the ex-wife of uh, Paul Westerberg. No, I, the, yeah, I love Lori Lindeen. We mentioned her on an episode of the show, and I emailed her and said, "Hey, we mentioned you on the episode of the show," and she replied back. And then we had a little bit of a conversation, and she agreed to come on the show. And uh, what was? And she wrote a book, an autobiography called Pedal Pusher. Mm-hmm. Excellent book. Yeah. Uh, and Zuzu's pedals. That, that was her band, right? Zuzu's pedals. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Zuzu pedals. Uh, great book, and it was a f- wonderful interview. But what was funny is, she says like, I don't really know anything about comic book movies because that was what the show was about. <laughs> and I had to say, no, no, it's fine, it's fine. And then we had this great interview, and uh, just about her book and her writing. So it didn't really fit in the format. We made it work because we. Um, tagged it with an inter- uh, a discussion about the Punisher movies mm-hmm. and which wasn't a great fit but okay it worked and then we said like, hey if we got her who else could we get and I found out when we were writing e- sending shooting out emails to get other guests I spent the first two paragraphs saying hey this is what we do but this is what we want to do with you and I said to Jarf it's like you know we can actually get some great guests I don't feel like wasting five minutes explaining why they should be on the show even though they have nothing to do with the show and that's when we changed we changed the name and we changed the format to and and again it was supposed to be uh you know once a week once every other week talking about a marvel movie the first episode we talked about iron man the second ish episode we talked about the hulk and then we did four issues four episodes talking about movie soundtracks that had nothing to do with marvel that would movies. have been a great topic was, for this show movie soundtracks that's a wonderful idea <laughs> yeah, what a great idea. So it was it was getting harder to get we spent too much time ex- like make making excuses for who we were to guess and then we were also were having a tough time keeping the, the format. It's like and it just I think we were 20 episodes in. It's like why are we fighting this? Let's just let the show become what it is. Basically like this episode. This episode we were supposed to be talking about, you know, queen music. I know. And, I know, but, which would be great. 
But um, but you which did, would be great. But and we are have... actually recording it on Christopher Lambert's birthday, by the way. Are we really today? This actual yes. day, he still has yes. birthdays, even though he's happy he, birthday, he's more character than actor now. Good for him. <laughs> great for him. But the 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 um of the show, like the parameters were still pop culture based. Correct? Is that? We we rarely go into anything. We rarely go into politics. Well, that's when things turn very ugly. I assume it's very hard. I think to have a civil, polite. Although it's hard to have a civil, polite conversation about the X Men, but it's hard to have a civil, polite conversation about politics. I would imagine. Yeah, and especially if I'm hosting it because Jarv's pretty plugged in mm-hmm. politically. I just sort of have my I have my opinions, but I don't make any claim to be. Um, like a real student of the game. There, if, you're, if you want to go for a political conversation, eh, go to the gist, go to Pod Save America. Those are the people who really know what they're talking about. Yeah, Pod uh, Save the People I feel like, too. Yeah, yeah. There, there's some great other content out there. However, I feel like what I can, what I can really bring to the game is I can, first off, I, I feel like I'm a pretty good interviewer. Um, and I feel like I can offer a good, fresh perspective on these pop culture things with a pretty wide berth. I- I'm lucky where I read a lot of books, I read a lot of comics, I watched a lot of movies, and I have a lot of music. So I- I'm dialed in to a pretty wide swath of pop culture where I can talk Star Wars intelligently, I can talk you know, uh, Ben Folds music intelligently, uh, I can talk Flash Gordon intelligently, and I'm sort of a jack of all trades in that way. So th- basically, the things that I'm not good at is, you know, financial talk and politics. But through pop culture, I, I I'm going to take back something I just said because I actually I feel like through you know something like the X Men, pop culture does at least for me, and, and I don't know for both of you, is a filter to talk about some of these things. And I'm not exactly sure why because there are people who love sports, so what they talk about is sports, and they see the world that way. And there are people who it's their politics. Pop culture, and I think until very recently, pop culture was oftentimes, at least the, the pop culture I was into, 80s cartoons, toys, things like that, was kind of relegated to kid stuff. It's odd that in the past 10 years, 12 years, it's become, I think, a public metaphor for discussing things. I mean, I, 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 I know this is breaking into this century to talk about it, but I don't know what that switch is. I do find it's healthy. I I mean, do you, is there stuff from your, that you're into, pop culture that you're into from your past that there was a time where you wouldn't be talking about it openly or where you would have been private about it? Has that ever been a sensation for either of you? Something where it's like, oh, I'm too ashamed to admit how much, uh, you know, that I'm enjoying the Sectar's action figure or something along those lines. Well, we did a bit on a recent show where we have a great panelist, Katie, And anytime she's on, she comes up with Katie's question. So her question the last time that we recorded with her was, what's the geekiest thing that you're into? And I've really struggled to answer it because I I think that I've outgrown the idea of guilty pleasures. So now there's no shame to my game. Well, is that across the board? Like, is the idea of a guilty pleasure, which again, I feel was always something like a, a, a hokey movie like Xanadu or a hokey album like Xanadu. Like, do you think that <laughs> is kind of a thing of, of, of the past? Like, do you think, because it's a good moment to be a, what used to be called a geek, because that is the dominant culture right now. Do you think 
I mean, it's a good thing not to have that embarrassment, but do you think there there's something now missing where we don't have these private, like a guilty pleasure always seem to be like the thing you watch in private, not necessarily in shame, but something that brought you joy, but you don't have that anymore. You're saying, is that true? What I find really fulfilling now is what Brad's touched on a couple of times in working to make geek culture more inclusive. So we're just aware that these spaces, the comic book store and canon discussions of classic comic books, they have not always been welcoming and friendly to women and people of color and LGBT plus fans just because it's like someone's felt ostracized finds geek culture as something that they connect with and then they become very defensive of that and so they are in turn ostracizing other people because it's uh, they play this kind of gatekeeping role of you don't you're not a real comic book fan and and when that intersects with other larger political and and racial issues then it can really it can really become damaging to people who who share our fandom so we really want to kick down all of those walls and and I just love hearing other people's other people's take on things that I enjoyed as a kid and that I enjoy now and and to have those conversations. Well, it sounds like you're like it's almost like concentric circles. There was a time where, if you had, to go back to this topic, because it was the first comic book I realized was political, to identify with the X Men in the '80s meant a lot to me for uh, being like out, an outsider and all that. So I have that protective of it. There's a you know, so there are people who make that comic, who are writing it, who are drawing it, who are telling the stories I want to hear. However, I'm relating to it as, you know, this middle American male, you know, boy. So I have that connection to it. There's a circle of ring further out where people look at that time would look at comic books as kids material. You're going to talk about that. Let's talk about, you know, some, something else, some literature, some sports, whatever. So there's that level. Maybe that's where some of the defensiveness comes from. But then there's another circle that I didn't participate in, which is almost like the, you don't get this. I'm, you know, like almost like the, and I love the movie, but I feel like Kevin Smith's Small Rats kind of presented a version of a fan that is like this very abrasive, aggressive fan. And I feel like that poisoned the minds of a lot of people. It was entertaining in the movie, but that stuck people where it's like, you have to grip your fandom and you have to be isolated from it. And I do feel like that was an aspect of 80s and 90s that maybe is changing now. Do you think, do you think that's more the fandom? Do you think that's the people making the art? Like to stick with comic books, do you think comic books are more inclusive than they used to be? Do you think there's more of a fan base for it? Or do you think it's in the stories themselves, the writing is becoming more inclusive of diversity and that's drawing people in? Or do you think these people have always been there and now it's just representing people to read it who are looking for more diverse characters than another rich white man in an iron suit? Well, it's you see a real push and pull. So the, if you're talking just about the major comic companies, so they'll make some strides to to be more inclusive, both in terms of representation of the characters and then with not as fast of a pace as I'd like to see in the writer's room. And then, and then they'll pull it back. Like you really see Marvel pulling back with their relaunch of their characters. And they recently announced this return to the classic characters. 
and of 16 characters, only two of them are women, and there's only one woman writer among all of those uh, of the main flagship characters. So it really goes back and forth. But with indies, that's where you see a lot more of a variety of voices getting a chance to to write from their own experiences. And is that work that's, I mean, you're talking about the safe, like the space of a comic book store. That's where I went to find that stuff as a kid, more so in college. Like that's where I first found like Love and Rockets, Strangers in Paradise, um, years later, Lumberjanes, things like that. Like that was always the comic book store. Do you think the comic book store still represents that? Do you think that's kind of a social spot for this? Like, is that an inclusive area or has it spread to bookstores, internet, people do stuff online? Like where is that change coming from? I think comic book stores are usually pretty good. I, uh, and with oh, there always being exceptions, of course, uh, I think where it can be a real dangerous space or a less inviting space is uh, Comic-Cons. Mm. And, hey, I, I love going to a Comic-Con. Uh, we just were invited to um, a, present a panel at um, a, a Universal Con in, uh, in Baltimore, which we're really excited about. But um, you know, we have um, we're friends with uh, the uh, with Queers Play. Who basically their job is they've taken upon themselves to be a safe space at comic book conventions because it can be really it can be really toxic and um, there's a lot of a lot of that protectiveness yeah with a dash of misogyny sure uh, which no, is I, never I a good combination I, it's not I I was and I, it sounds like I might be misguided here I was thinking because of the greater acceptance of things like cosplay just in society. I thought comic, spa- comic con spaces were becoming safer places to not say, I don't mean safer, but I thought they were more inclusive places. And it sounds like they're not that I've, I've been to like Boston con. I haven't gone to a much bigger than Boston comic con in, in a few years, but if you're, if you're a cisgender woman who's thin and you're cosplaying, then, then on one level, it's going to be accepting for you and then on another there are some real hazards because people take cosplay as an invitation for unwanted touching what queers play is really great about highlighting is there are people that enjoy cosplay that that don't look like characters have always been drawn in the comics but they still draw inspiration from this character so they want to create their version of Hawkeye and not have to answer a lot of bullshit questions is this a podcast on which we can swear? It is now now that that's out there let me just change my rating in iTunes (laughs) of course it is you you go ahead it's a real crapshoot but go ahead no yes you can yeah, so the, not having to deal with all these shitty questions of like, oh, are you guy Hawkeye? And so um, it's, it, it, I think it's important what they do. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a thing of, okay, you're not, you don't have the build of Harley Quinn in the comics because nobody does. Um, and also, so there's that. It's like, hey, you can be a normal sized human being and still dress as the characters that you want. And also the thing, and I just saw, uh, I think a post on Facebook, and one of it was a woman who 
posted how she, you know, comics were the love of her life, and it's where she, uh, you know, got her inspiration. And she learned, how, you know, what, developed her love of reading. And somebody said, it's like, oh, well, let's see how big a fan you really are. Who's Squirrel Girl? And she's, and it said very clearly in her like bio that she is a writer for Marvel Comics. And she actually posted a picture. She posted a screenshot of a Marvel comic with her name on the front cover circle. She's like, I work and write for Marvel, and still I have to answer these crappy questions because I'm a girl. All of a sudden, I need to be like 20 questions about, you know, you know, name my three three Iron Man villains, or you know, name five. Green Lanterns or something like that. You know, there's that, that weird peppering with questions. And that can be where sort of the, some of the toxicity can come from where b- because people are protective. And when you see a new fan or you see somebody who doesn't look the way you think a normal comic fan should, insta- you, you question to see if to make them feel like they don't belong as opposed to, oh, well, who's your f- engaging in a conversation is like, Oh, I see you're getting that. I love that. And and that's still going on then. Like, I feel like that was, that was the comic fandom I knew in the nineties and it was, and it was gross and it was overbearing. And I'm happy that I didn't get too caught up in it, but that is still going on. That see, I, and you do see it. I see it a lot on Twitter. I do see a lot of, uh, writers of comics who are, are, are basically verbally assaulted with, with these questions. And I guess I, I wonder why, I mean, I know that, you know, growing up, the boys' aisle of the toy store were the things I went to, but I don't think I ever thought – I didn't have the gender specific specificity to it because I also had She-Ra dolls, Gem dolls. Like, it wasn't necessarily like this is the only aisle you, you can play in. Why are all these pop culture topics – why are the – Fan, why are the fandoms so misogynistically male? Where, where, I mean, is that an, maybe that's an obvious answer, but it's it's true. It's it, that's the predominant issue. It it seems like as thanks to things like the internet, as more of, of a diverse audience finds a voice, which is what a, most of this seems to be, is finally we have other people exp- like at least for me, I'm hearing other people talk about comics who aren't my close circle of of you know the the, the concentric circle of friends. Why, why is this? You know, it's it's great, but, but why? It, it's still a struggle. I'm sh- in the industry, and I guess why are comics? Why did they start out as male things? Why are these things? Because they're not continually male dominated. Because there's a fandom. Obviously, that's not just the you know the angry, bitter fanboy mentality that that's there. That's not the only audience for it. I, I guess why is that? so difficult i mean i know why it's difficult for people to grasp because people hate change and they're fearful but why is that so difficult for say the industry to represent if the fandom is there like to to, to sadly think of it as just a money thing there's a fandom for your books for diverse writers and books you know uh uh, bat batwoman was having a huge following when they they cut short her planned wedding and then kicked kicked the writer off it's like why do that you have if all you're worried about is the money which you shouldn't be but if it is you have your fandom there why is it still a fearful why is pop culture so male driven what, what where does that come from is that a simple statement like that's how the world works i don't think so but what what what, what, what why is that still a specter there in the 21st century it, i think it just becomes I think it becomes self-perpetuating where, I don't know, at some point, 
comics were written for boys and because they were written by guys guys were the runner who wrote it and the boys read them and the girls thought they were silly and it became but then it became self-perpetuating and then it became girls aren't into comics girls aren't into comics well that's because it's all written by guys and they're all you know you have your female kit uh characters Written for the female gaze. I mean, written for the male gaze. Mm-hmm. Uh, I but think did you it. have those thoughts growing up? Like, did you read comics growing up? Did both of you guys read comics? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. yeah. Oh, yeah. Was it in your mind that it was a male genre, a male medium? Was that there? Yeah, I, I never really gave it any thought, except for one point. I, I read something where it, it was pointed out that there was, between DC and Marvel, there are 50 comics published, and only Two, and someone pointed out that the of all the comics that were being published, the longest running character with a female lead at that particular point was She-Hulk, which was like at issue sixty. And for me, I I grew up in a very small town in Central PA, so in in my mind and imagination, there were only a half a dozen people in the world who were even into comic books. I didn't really have this sense of of a culture of fandom. It, there, it was just me and my couple of friends, and we liked comics. And how, how does that sit with you at age 10 or whatever you were, that I'm doing something that not many people are into? If I'm really honest with myself, there is something that is fulfilling with sharing something that is that's your own little thing with your friends. Okay, sharing is still in that sentence too. So there is some group mentality, but it is. And like you said, I mean, I grew up in a very small town too. So maybe I can relate to some of this. It wasn't so much that I felt isolated. It's just this, like, you know, my exposure was just, I and my three friends read comics. We go to the comic book store together. So that's what that was. Did, were you, protective or fearful of it getting out to people that you read comics? Was it a secret thing? Did you not talk about it in school or was it part of the conversation anyways? No, I always liked, I always liked being the funny guy. <laughs> so I, I was always rocking the tick t-shirt <laughs> and <laughs> wearing that on my sleeve. So it, it didn't help my dating life in high school, but. Oh, I'm sorry. School is the best, isn't it? No, it's not, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. When, what, Brad, I'm going to take that moan as, as perhaps as you have something to say. What, what was your take on comics in high school? What was your position with them? It was, it was actually a little challenging for me. It, it, it didn't help that I was in no way, shape or form cool. So it wasn't, it wasn't just, I was a comic book guy. I was also a theater guy. And I also was a bit of a reader. I was like, wow. and I wasn't an athlete. I was like, oh, I have so many strikes against me. And I remember once reading an issue of um, Comicscape. I uh, it, it was a magazine about comics, and I'm just reading it in, in comic the comic scene or something like that. Yeah, You're comic scene. Comic Thank scape? you, comic scene. Okay. Yeah, and it had a picture of swamp thing on the front and people are like, Oh, that's just so gross. Why are you reading that? And I was like, Oh, <laughs> this is now making me uncomfortable. Grody and to the max, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. There is a, and we've talked about this before, uh, Jarf and I, and we've talked about it on the show where there is a jealousy where you walk down, you walk down a street or, or, or you're at a park or something and you see so many, 
cool kids, it seems like, or so many 20-somethings wearing a Marvel shirt. Yeah, that's when I become a jerk. Because I'm like, you're not suffering for your Green Lantern (laughs) underoo or whatever. Yeah. And that's weird. You can see their underoos? Does that come... Um, those of us with with the X-ray glasses we got from the back of the comic <laughs> can. Also, I can make a five dollar bill turn into a one dollar bill with this crank. But no, I I I will say like I I think I know the feeling. I should let you actually say it. I'm sorry, I totally cut you off. But just because I've had that feeling and I hate myself when I have that feeling, that I'm because I'm becoming yes, the jerk. I'm being like, how dare you right. carry the copy of Watchmen around in 2008? That book's been around for however many years. It's just a movie coming out. That was the one I remember. I was sick of seeing everybody with their Watchmen. I'm like, people are reading the book you you like. You can talk to people about the book now. Well, however they got to it, they got to it. But they're, that's where this weird and, – and I wonder if this is a weird misogynistic thing or if it's just human nature. But like that's when I last felt possessive of this genre of comics like i really felt like you don't deserve it and that's weird man that's not that's at the antithesis of or that's that's what generates you know that that's tying into the feeling of being an outsider and now suddenly being like you can't do it is just turning that on someone like you do have that feeling a little bit or i've had it it sounds like yeah and it's and it's so counterproductive because listen i love the marvel movies and i love that they spent 200 million dollars to film and create this amazing world for Avengers Affinity War. You don't feel like maybe that's two million too much? It 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 might be. And like just just by two million though. The, the one ninety eight would be yeah. yeah, just by two million. The one ninety eight would have been perfect. I think so. And that movie doesn't get made if it's just me and Jarf and our friends going to see that movie. It has to be it has to be a fan base that just thinks it looks like a cool movie. My parents love going to the Marvel movies. They never read a comic book their entire life. They like to go to those movies because, aside from the fact they're based on comics, but they're still, in general, satisfying movies. And and also, isn't your mom hot for Thor? Oh, uh, jeez, yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> most recent haircut Thor, I would agree. Actually, eye patch Thor. Not one who normally enjoys an eye patch, but yes, yeah, stunning, very stunning. I will agree with your your mom on that. But to 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 circle back for a minute, like so, there is the, the there is that rationale that we we need the fan base to make this two hundred million dollar movie. But does it ever get you that none of these people are reading comics? That the comic industry is suffering, even though the movie like what's saving Marvel right now is their movies. I don't, and maybe I'm speaking out of line, but I think that's right. I think the trades are doing decent because they expand to a different market and they sell in bookstores and, and, and online. It's the single issues that are struggling, which makes it a challenge for starting up new books. It, it's a thing where when we were reading comics in the peak in the 90s, where Sp- Spider- Tom McFarlane's Spider-Man 1 sold 2 million copies, and the Jim Lee, Chris Claremont, X-Men uh, issue one, I think sold seven million. Yeah, I think that was the highest selling comic of the time, or maybe it was the McFarlane. Both of those pro- broke records, I believe. I do remember that. And now a success is if you can sell fifty thousand units. Um, but keep in mind that back in the nineties, they went bankrupt. They were having bankruptcy issues because even though they were selling so many comics, the company wasn't financially sound. And now. Now, Marvel, the entity, makes billions of dollars. So it's almost like comics have sort of become a testing ground 
for the for the cartoons and for the movies. And in one way, that's disappointing because it's a combo company. They should be selling comics. But on the other hand, as long as they are having opportunities and those ideas, you know, and the look of Thor from Thor Ragnarok, that was tested out in the comics first. And and you so you have that and like using it as like sort of a testing ground to see what people are into captain america civil war um was a take on a comic book that had come out 10 years before then so basically the purpose of comics has changed it's like okay it's gonna have a smaller audience but it's you know the things that work uh and that get people excited they're going to be something that can then be sort of parlayed into the big screen for a mass audience it's not really what you want but you know but marvel i now feel comfortable that marvel's going to be around for another 20 30 40 years and during that period when they were going bankrupt i think that at one point marvel was owned by revlon that i did not know but that explains some of the more gamma irradiated blush that I used. So that makes sense. I learn something every time I podcast with Brad. He's always got some kind of nugget of knowledge that he will unearth. No, that is it always Revlon based? Because there's a lot to know no, about it Revlon you, that I'm unaware of. You never know what it's going to be. Sometimes it's L'Oreal. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> right. Okay. So there, this guy does know his stuff. I. That feeling that you were talking about when you see the 20-something in the shirt, in the, the whatever superhero shirt, that momentary feeling, to me, the key to understanding how pop culture evolves or how I evolve the pop culture is in there somewhere. And I guess it's like, what is that? Is that tin sort of that item is mine? Is that tin sort of you don't know what it's like to be made fun of for like, you know, it's, you know, you're talking about like in high school, you know, kind of having to hide your swamp thing book. Like, is it not earned? And I'm not saying this is how you feel, but in that moment, because I think we have emotional reactions to things that speak to something else. Like, where do you, where do you think that comes from? I mean, for me, I know I do hold on to a little bit of that. This wasn't cool when I was in high school. Why is it cool now? But, but, but where does that tinge come for you? Yeah, I, I think it's jealousy because I remember there was one brief shining moment in uh, in '89 where it was cool because when the uh, Michael Keaton Batman movie came out, all of a sudden everybody was wearing Batman shirts in my high school, and I was thrilled because I and I wasn't even a huge Batman fan. I was always a Marvel guy. But I got my butt right out to the store. I got a Batman shirt that had a, a Brian Boland Batman picture on the front. And I was so happy. And then in two months, all of a sudden, everyone stopped wearing it. And I would get weird looks now. I was like, why are you still wearing that shirt? I was like, oh, oh, this isn't this isn't going to last forever. But we're in that era now where it does, which is weird. I don't know for how long, but it's I have friends younger than me and I'm just like, I do find that thing of being, I, I become that old man where it's like, well, you don't know what it's like to own a Dazzler comic book in public. Like, you don't know what that feels like, it's, it, which is odd. That's that weird part of, that's the, it's not not toxic masculinity, but there's something that drives that. And I guess I'm wondering why does fandom, is fandom driven by that to a degree? Do the things that resonate with us the most our fandom for Star Wars comics is what we're talking about. So stick with that. Does some of that come from almost like a survival thing, survivors thing? Like it's kind of like this was my testament to surviving high school because I had carried my polybagged books around. Is there something in pop culture that is so 
because um Jeff, you were saying like with your friends, it was just a few of you who are in the comics. Is there something to that that then makes comics important or more important than maybe just the books themselves? I've realized a couple of things as you've been talking about this. Uh, One thing that inoculated me against that feeling of, oh, oh, someone can't enjoy this if they don't have the same background or they haven't had the same experiences with it they haven't grown up with the comic in the way that i did is the fact that i was involved in the punk scene in the 90s oh and i I saw a a negative aspect of that scene where they could be very sanctimonious and not accepting of someone like me who was newer to it who did because i didn't grow up near a city and and know a lot of people who were involved in it i grew up in that small town so i was just learning about it and they're like oh you don't you don't know your sex pistols from your suicidal tendencies get out of here and so I, i that really taught me that like hey people are people have their own starting place and so i think that has always made me more accepting of that but I ha- did realize you were talking a while back about Star Wars and the the negativity around The Last Jedi. I do have my own version of being defensive about the genres that I love. And for me, it's when I feel like people are really missing the heart of what something is about. So when I saw people viciously attacking the actress that plays Rose because they could not see her as a part of Star Wars canon. Some of them, I think, just out of ignorance and not being open to new ideas, and some of them, because it was so well-organized and and I know the way that online hate works, has to be out of actual weaponized racism – it just made me think, have you ever seen a Star Wars movie? Do you not see who are the good guys and who are the bad guys and that they are fighting against oppression and authoritarianism? And so that, to me, that's what gets my blood hot and 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 makes me a little too hasty in my reaction sometimes. Because if you if you step back from the real ugliness of it, it's totally legitimate for some people to not be that excited about certain characters in a movie. And I'll get myself worked up to the point of like, if you don't love Finn and Rose, like I do, there is something wrong with you. (laughs) So I try to (laughs) pull myself back from that and just go ahead and love them myself and that realize that not everybody is actually having an evil agenda. Some people just have wrong opinions. <laughs> but it's it's weird. It's a double-edged thing because, like, your protectiveness of Finn and Rose is at once beautiful because you love the characters. But also, yeah, the moment you say, well, you don't get it if you don't get this, that's that, that to me kills any discussion of anything. But in pop culture, yeah. it's like, well, if you're going to tell someone they don't get it just because they disagree, um, that's a weird argument. But it's, it's weird. You're kind of, 
you're walking that line almost there with your, your Finn and Rose fandom. And it's weird because on the one side, it is wonderful to be that caring about characters that you defend them. But that other side of it, that's why when you said the punk scene, I'm like, well, that's a scene I would assume is very vicious in its, um, cause that's a scene built on being an outsider, but it's cool to be a punk outsider. At least that's how I always viewed it. Those were the characters in movies I liked and whatever. Right. Um, but those are very equatable to a degree. And so it's interesting that that's the one that it sounds like, and if I misunderstood what you said, please correct me, but it sounds like that's the one that kind of opened your eyes to not, not insulating yourself in pop culture. Is that, would that be a correct understanding of what you said? Or am I throwing something else in there? No, you nailed it. To tie it back to what started this all, which was I was impressed that you actively work towards positivity and talking about pop culture, which isn't something I can completely do, but I very much admire it. I, I think that the, 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 the negativity in pop culture comes solely from ownership of pop culture. For whatever reason it is, something as simple as this is the story I relate to, to something where it's like it's a boys club, it's a whatever club – I guess that ownership of pop culture, because it's it used to be such an intangible thing, the negativity stems from someone else. We become less special if someone else has it, and that's again, that's I think putting ourselves too much into the culture. But I feel at least for me, that's where that stems from or would come from. I think I have the perfect antidote for that reaction when you see someone who is in their twenties and they are rocking your old time faves and you feel like they are, are they don't have the same background as you forget about the kids in their 20s and just focus on the younger kids because how can you be mad seeing a five-year-old with a spider-man t-shirt and don't you want to see another generation of fans appreciating these things the danger of nostalgia is that ownership and forgetting that by the time I got to say Spider-Man, he had already been around for 20 years. Other people had gotten to him first. These things are forever changing for the audience. And the negativity, I don't think, can be eliminated. But you're right. I think having that mindset, you're going to sound like a jerk if you're mad at a five-year-old for, for liking something that's different from how you remember it or liking the recent iteration. So thank you, man. Um, and thank you both for being on the show. I think we will wrap it up. I, my, my regret is we didn't get to talk about uh, the Flash Gordon Minute, which is the podcast um, that I first heard you on, Brad. That's how I found out who you were. Um, very quickly, just because I'm going to put a link in the show notes, can you guys uh, just – Flash Gordon Minute, what is it? What is that show? And then we'll go out after that. Again, I'm going to toss this to Jarf. He, he, he's the producer of the show. So, so yes. Flash Gordon Minute is a movies by minute podcast looking at the 1980 cult classic Flash Gordon with the amazing soundtrack by Queen. So if you're not familiar, I know that you personally are, Jim, but if listeners aren't familiar with the movies by minute genre, so it started yes. out with Star Wars Minute, and it is literally looking at a movie one minute per episode. So it might seem, and I know that my mm-hmm. wife thinks that this topic is crazy limiting, but you would be surprised how many things there are to talk about in just one minute. <laughs> it just becomes a jumping off point to talk about the actors, <laughs> the producers, the costuming, and then as these fun conversations among friends go, go on any kind of rambling side 
thought from things that are related. It's a deep dive. You really get to focus in. Brad is the co-host along with Eric, who is a real Flash Gordon specialist. So he always brings a lot of great trivia related to the actors and, and the franchise. And then we have an amazing array of guests. We've really worked hard to make sure that it isn't all just dudes talking about Flash Gordon all the time. And so we've really tried to include more women in the conversation and had some guests from other movies by minute podcasts so they kind of know that format and then writers and comedians and the folks from outside of it and it, it's a chance to hear some people really heavily invested in flash gordon talk about it and then some people that are new to it and get their different take on it so we have a lot of fun awesome are you and jeffrey you're the voice that introduces it right are you the very voice at the very beginning or no Yes, I do voice over for the intros and the outros, which is a dream for me. I always wanted to do voiceover, and I've always been inspired by hammy, old-time radio voiceover, so that's my inspiration. I'm very happy to be speaking to the opening voice of that show and Brad, the actual voice of that show as well. So thank you both for being on this uh, 20th Century Popcast, the show. We do it weekly. You can find us at www.20popcast.com. Check that out. There's links to subscribe to the show on iTunes, uh, Stitcher, other players, Android apps. You can find me on Twitter at Subcultist. You can find me on Instagram at, at Subcultist. Just check out 20popcast.com. Uh, That's got the information there. Brad and Jeff, do you guys, um, I'm going to connect in the show notes, but please plug uh, plug Flash Gordon Minute, plug where people can follow you because I'm, I'm hoping people jump from the show into, into one, of, one or both of your shows. You can follow us on Twitter at Flash Gordon Pod. That's actually how I connected with you, Tim. So I really like to interact with fans there. And we also post the shows there. We have a Facebook group for our listeners so they can share funny photos and observations from the show and memes and whatnot. And that's called the Flash Gordon Minute Listener's Vortex. And Cosmic Geppetto, um, CosmicGeppetto.com is our website uh, that we're sort of refiguring out. Uh, Jarf is, uh, he's become our social media guy. He's going to be starting to add some content to that at some point in the future. Uh, but it's on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher. Uh, we're on Twitter at uh, Cosmic underscore Geppetto. And we have the Cosmic Geppetto listeners page. Tim, we expect you to come on Cosmic Geppetto. Uh, one thing that we do um, th- th- that we would love to have you on because you're a fan of the 90s is uh, we have our best of the 90s tournament. Sounds competitive, but okay. I've been on twice and I've lost twice. It is competitive. It's a, a, a group of 18 uh, and it's our favorite TV shows, movies, and uh, music and cartoons and uh they're, they face off until we get to the final two. Uh, Jarf, he, he represented uh, Mystery Men against Army of Darkness. And, uh, oh, he, uh, how'd you lose that? No, I love Mystery Men, but I think I'm the other person who loves Mystery Men, and that might be why. Uh, I would love to be on him, and that sounds awesome. 
yeah, we, we have a great time. It's very positive. It's very inclusive. And we ask everyone, uh, give us a listen. So please do. Yes. Um, again, links will be in the show notes. Hop over to that. Uh, thank you both for not talking about soundtracks today, as was the topic. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'll come back next week by myself and probably just read the notes that I had because they were fascinating. Um, but thank you, guys. Thank you both. Yeah, this has been a blast. Thanks for having us. Thanks a lot, man. This is great. She's not getting me. Don't use your mouth. Use your brain. I'm with you, Dale. Just concentrate hard and think to me. Where are you? In a rocket, racing to Arborea to get help. Are you okay? Over? I'm locked in Ming's bedroom. Oh my god, this girl's really turning me on. I didn't quite get that. Think it again. Forget I thought it. It wasn't about you. Over. What?